Welcome to the Azure Podcast, a weekly podcast to keep you up to date on what's new on our cloud platform, Microsoft Azure. Your hosts, Cynthia Crane, Evan Basilic, Suji DeMello, Kendall Roden, Kel Teeter, and Russell Young discuss a different service or solution on each show with subject matter experts to explain how to get started, how different services work, and how to make decisions in tricky scenarios. You can find out more about our podcast at azpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Azure Podcast. Um, I'm your host, Evan Basilic, and today is August 24th. Um, This is episode number 436. And we'll be talking about um, Kestrel and how it, uh, why, why it matters in the world of, of app services um, with our special guest, guest Byron Tardiff. Um, and actually, nobody else is here today, and I don't have any news. So unfortunately for Byron, that means we're going to get straight to him. <laughs> um, no break. You know, you just go straight in. Um, so Byron, why don't you start out, um, uh, sort of tell us who you are and what you do here at Microsoft. Of course. Hello, my name is Byron Tardiff. I'm a principal PM manager uh, with the app service team, uh, roughly working at Microsoft for about 13 years. I was a consultant in the industry before that, um, but I've spent most of my time on on the cloud, uh, worked several products. I shipped the first version of Service Bus, uh, yeah, and then yeah. around that time, I switched over to, to app service, and I've been with app service team ever since. Uh, multiple different areas that I've touched, including like, how do we do deployments? How do we get our bits on the cloud? Mm-hmm. Um, the first version of the API back when we were talking about RDFE, which is the predecessor to ARM. Yeah, sort of V1 basically uh, for Azure. Yep. And then, you know, moving up the stack from from that, uh, I own all of the UI UX for uh, web apps, container apps, function apps, static web apps. And on the like that's kind of like my right brain and my mm-hmm. left brain is all of the Linux workloads on on app service. So okay, if you're yeah, I mean app running... service has a ton of breadth, right? At the end of the day, that right. does a lot. It's it's actually you know you you mentioned function apps, um, you know function apps is basically sitting on top of um, mm-hmm. app services, right? So there's a lot of interplay there, right? It it really is a right. platform on its own these days, right? Right, right, right. right. Um, so. The the reason, you know, sort of let me go back for the audience to sort of how we we this conversation got started um, earlier in the year. Y'all were in the process of making some changes really to the, the underlying infrastructure for app services. And, you know, um, there was an investigation that I was involved in and sort of ran across this. And then from there, we sort of dug into, OK, what is this thing that we have done? Um, let's just right. start right there. So so the 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 this change is Kestrel. It, it's an right. open source um, .NET core thing. What, what right. is Kestrel and, and why does it matter to start with? Like, why, why, what is it and why would you ever care about it in an app services world? Right. So Kestrel specifically is a mother implementation of a web server. So, so like when IIS, you're, WebSphere, things like that. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. When like today, by default, when you create a, a .NET app that is going to be talking over HTTP, it, the .NET process itself hosts the, the Kestrel web server, and you know that's what exposes the ports and does all of the handling. Okay. Uh, so if you're like old Windows, you know, side of the It'll house, like HTTP like, sys and whatnot, right? HTTP that sys okay. and a W3P process, yeah. uh, okay. app pools, all of that stuff, right? Okay. Um, and 
It's not tied to Windows. It is uh, open source cross-platform, right? So okay. when you're running uh, .NET on Linux or on your Mac, it, it's it's the same Kestrel that is you know instantiated in any one of those. Okay. So that's that's like one of the one of the benefits, right? That it yep. it, it is the same no matter where you're running it. Uh, and then the other part is is Yarp, which is yet another request reverse proxy, <laughs> uh, another you know foundational piece of .NET that is replacing or, or or allowing you to replace some of the functionality that existed in IIS through mm -hmm. uh, ARR, mm -hmm. uh, which is That's the, the application request router. Yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So those are like pieces of .NET, right? But yeah. but. What does that mean in the context of, of app service? That's kind of like the, the next logical question. Uh, and, and to do that, it, 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 I'm going to have to go a little bit into the anatomy of the service just to help people understand um, mm -hmm. where this all fits. Uh, so we do have a blog post that it, it was published originally to the app service team blog, but now it's also on the... On the yeah, we'll definitely blog. link to it for the audience. We'll, after. we'll add a yeah. link. Uh, the the benefit of that is that it has some some images that helps you like block diagrams of mm -hmm. you know what are we talking about. But I'll I'll, I'll do my best as uh, painting a picture here. Yeah. Um, so you think of Azure, and you know that is a collection of data centers that exist across you know multiple countries, multiple geographical regions. And that is kind of like the first level of abstraction, right? When you when you mm -hmm. draw a little cloud and you say that my app is talking to Azure, that's kind of it. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, the next level is saying, okay, so there's an Azure region. So an mm -hmm. Azure region is you know a physical location in space. It's it's sitting somewhere, uh, uh, but it, it actually represents uh, one or more data centers. So in, in some cases, what you see as an Azure region in the portal is really broken down into two or three multiple buildings physically, yep. Yep. right? And then we go deeper into that and we talk about app service being one of the services that exists uh, within Azure. Uh, I think, you know, I'm going up the top of my head, but I think the last time I looked, there was something, you know, over 270 services on some on big Azure. number these days. Yeah, and there's new number. ones every day. Yeah. yeah, you know, but you know, I'm going to brag a little bit. Uh, not every service is the same as every other service. Uh, App service happens to have a designation of double XL, uh, and we only share that with two other services in in all of Azure. So you can think of the the big kahunas uh, in terms. You're of talking sort much... of like the number of instances deployed and the number of customers using it, like the sort of indication of size, right? The, the amount of infrastructure that exists within each data center that is dedicated to ah, this particular okay. service. Gotcha. Right? Uh, so, you know, you can think of there's compute. You know, obviously, if you're running raw VMs, there's going to be a ton of those dedicated to that. There's storage, right? If you have, you know, a storage account or, or anything that is going to blob, there's going to be a bunch of dedicated infrastructure for that. And then you have app service where, you know, mm -hmm. we're going to have a bunch of dedicated infrastructure that is for app service workloads. Um, so we're zooming, we're zooming in, right? We're we're going mm -hmm. from Azure to a region to a data center to a service. Okay. Now, app service was built 12 years ago. Uh, I think we celebrated our 10-year GA anniversary this year in, yep. in July. Yep. yep. Uh, so when we started, the the building blocks that were there were cloud services. So that's the V1 pass 
uh, of Azure. And obviously, over 10 years, the, the, footprint, the footprint has evolved, but we still have you know, a, a split of uh, a good chunk of app service resources are running on uh, cloud service infrastructure and architecture, and the more modern stuff is running on top of the MSS. We actually had Christina Compi on um, earlier in the year to talk about um, yep. App Services V3, right? Which is the new right. native ARM implementation at that point. So yeah, so the audience should right. be reasonably familiar with that. Yeah, and you know, if we can do a quick plug here, is one of the key things that the team is working on is uh, moving all of that infrastructure out of cloud services into mm -hmm. VMSS. So we're trying mm -hmm. to get that homogenized, if you will. Uh, and you know that's a multi-year project. We're we're dealing with capacity and you know making sure that again it's the the pains of being a, a double XL service is you know we 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 need to make room for ourselves. Yep. Um, okay, so so we have cloud services and within uh, a cloud service, there's, there's certain limits of how big of a service can you build, right? There's mm -hmm. you know we we all think about the cloud scales. Uh, scales infinitely, but in reality, the, there's some some limits. Uh, in our case, I think we're limited to something like 5,000 cores per cloud service or per only 5,000. I mean, only you know, 5, only, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, what that translates to is app service has this concept of a unit of scale uh, that we call stamps. Mm -hmm. So basically, we we and this is a term that I think we borrowed from. Storage uses um, it as well. So yeah, use, SharePoint. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it originally originated from SharePoint, where when you when you were creating a SharePoint deployment uh, on premise, you you needed to have at least this many computers, and that was called a mm -hmm. stamp, mm -hmm. uh, because you think about it as you're, you're rubber stamping yeah. and you're they just should all be copies creating of each other basically. Another yeah. one, right? Mm -hmm. um, so when we create a stamp, we we usually start small and then we inflate it. Right, so we get it until we start hitting the limits. Then we need to create another stamp. Uh, what that means is that you know across Azure, across all of the different regions and data centers, we have thousands of stamps. Uh, some of them are multi-tenant, meaning that you know you might get a dedicated VM for your app, but you're sharing infrastructure, mm -hmm. or you might have uh, a dedicated stamp, and that, that's what you were talking with Christina about the app service environment yeah. and app service okay. environment V3, right? So that's okay. the what we consider a dedicated stamp. Uh, so now we're going into what does a stamp look like? Uh, and the stamp has multiple roles. So one of them happens to be this thing called the front end role. The the front end role acts as a load balancer. So you know you 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 start on your browser, you make a request, you DNS magic happens, and you know your bits eventually get routed to to Azure, and then Azure decides what is the right data center that needs to get mapped to, and then it hits the Azure load balancer, and then it goes and it says, okay, this is is a request for something that happens to be hosted on App Service. Uh, I'm gonna throw it into the right stamp of App Service. And then that's where it hits the, the front end. And the front end, like I said, is 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 shared infrastructure when you're in a multi-tenant scenario, or it's dedicated infrastructure when you're in an ACE. But you can think about it as there's a bunch of VMs that are getting these requests that then need to be forwarded to the, the VM that is hosting the customer's application. Uh, and, and that is the piece that basically got reworked. Uh, to put it in context, context the 
the app service front ends are dealing with, I'm going to look at my cheat sheet because it's like some stupid number, uh, over 160 billion requests per day. Wow. Okay. That's right. not so a small number. <laughs> it is, when I say it's a critical infrastructure yeah. piece, it, 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 it basically, if anything happens here, uh, yeah. we're, we're knocking down thousands of customers, right? So it, it is a very critical piece. Uh, when we started, the team, the app service team basically grew from IIS. Uh, we had a bunch of people that were working on IIS back in the day. So we used a lot of the stuff, including myself. I was a PM for the, what was it called? Application server role. Mm -hmm. uh, so we used a bunch of the pieces that we were familiar with, like IIS, ARR, mm -hmm. to build that front-end role. And the front-end role has the responsibility of getting the request, figuring out what is the right VM that is hosting the, the, the customer's code, and then forwarding that to that particular worker. Uh, it does other stuff like TLS termination, offloading, et cetera. It's basically acting uh, as the proxy at the end of the day, but right, to, the, right. to the stuff that's behind it. Okay. Right. Uh, so we ended up with a bunch of homebrew code uh, that is like unmanaged um, HTTP.sys, you know, stuff on, on IIS. So, so, so Brian, it sounds like the front end is uh, is Windows, right? But even though right. the actual app may be not on Windows, is that how to how you think about it? Yeah, that is correct. Uh, as of today, the 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 front ends are running uh, on a Windows box, uh, and you know it doesn't matter if you're hosting Linux code or you know bring your own code, bring your own container. It it doesn't matter. It's just a transparent proxy, right? Um. So yeah. So what happens is, um, you know, at some point we need to start modernizing that infrastructure. And uh, one of the benefits that we were looking at is all of the perf work that was done in .NET 6 specifically uh, to, improve, to include the performance. Because, you know, this is critical, right? We're talking about 160 billion requests per mm -hmm. day. Uh, if we can make it, you know, it's even, you know, 0.01% faster, Makes a difference. There's, there's yeah. benefits, right? There, it, yeah. it, it compounds and it adds up. Um, so that was one of the motivations. Uh, the other one was just the ability to have that open source and, and, and bigger ecosystem of that exists within the .NET community, right? So uh, we were able to, from the team, contribute code, uh, get changes from the community in, and and basically have those pieces that are moving a lot faster than uh, a Windows update would, right? I, so, I think I, I think I remember and 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 I, I may be wrong on this because it's been a few years, but like I think I remember hearing from somebody early on that you know ARR did a really good job for what it was supposed to do, but it was not something mm -hmm. that was taken up and used by lots and lots and lots of customers, right? It was sort of a niche thing within yeah. IS. If you needed it, you needed it. But it, it just didn't get the same, you know, it wasn't beat on and tested and used in all these places by, you know, thousands and thousands and millions of customer scenarios versus what you're, you know, Kestrel, what you're talking about, like it is the .NET Core web component. So now you're, you're getting the benefit of everybody anywhere using Kestrel for anything. If they find something wrong, you're getting the benefit now versus before it really was just what you guys were, were finding at the end of the day. Yeah. But, but on the flip side, I would say is that uh, HTTP uh, and things like that are, you know, tried and trusted C++, you know, low-level machine language implementation, right? 
And uh, yeah. I don't know, Kestrel is, seems to be like, you know, dotted core. Or So I have to ask, you know, I mean, I'm sure you may get to it sometime. Like, you know, how do they like uh, how does the performance compare and things like that? I'm sure you'll get to that later. Right. Yeah. So, you know, we can talk performance up front, which is we saw an 80 percent improvement. Uh, improvement. Not without without optimizing code. Right. So wow. we were we were doing the one of the key things is. What is the most compatible thing that you can make uh, a, a piece of software? And that is bug level compatible, right? So that even things that you consider bugs continue to be bugs in the replacement. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. something that is a bug for you is actually a feature for somebody else. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a reality, right? Yes. Like when, when, yes. when you have the, you know, the wide spectrum of different levels of compliance within the clients of how they interpret the HP spec and yeah, you know, stuff absolutely. like that. Uh, any slight changes in behavior are, you know, echo through 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 the platform, right? So uh, we did some targeted tests and, and, and that's what we found, right? So 80% improvements on the, on the throughput and without code optimization. So that's kind of like the next step of the journey is looking at what things we can do Keeping the compatibility, but you know, looking at actual perf optimizations. Right. Um, How do you get from? I mean, you said I think the number was 160 billion requests a day. If you're getting 160 billion requests a day, you don't just go ah, just rip out you know ARR and IIS and just drop right. it in Kestrel. It'll all work, right? All 160 billion <laughs> requests will go fine. How, you know, at the scale at which you're operating, how do you make that shift? Right. So um, before I get into that, I did want to talk a little bit about some of the other benefits of HP.sys versus, you know, Kestrel and .NET Core and unmanaged code versus managed code. Mm -hmm. Uh, The reality is that when we found a bug in, in, in our front ends, we needed somebody to go and attach a debugger and take like a OS level dump Mm -hmm. to go and then analyze that and, and figure it out and you know the the number of engineers that Small. are qualified <laughs> to do that is not you know the world uh whereas on on the managed code side there's a lot of tooling and there's a lot of things just built into the dotnet framework that simplify that a lot you don't have to parse through you know, I think the memory dump goes from being multi-gigabyte to just a couple megabytes. It's scoped to the stuff that you're actually interested in, and it makes it a lot easier to pinpoint what, what the issue is. So just uh, easier debugging, really, at the end of the right, day. Right, right, okay. right, right. Yeah, the like it comes down to expertise in unmanaged code that is like system level unmanaged code versus you know managed code. It, it makes yeah. a big difference when. When you need to support a, a service like this, where where you can have pretty much any engineer go tackle the problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what was the thing that I needed to backtrack to? The how do we do the swap? Yeah, how do you do production? the switch from from ARR and IS to Kestrel? Yeah, so beyond you know, very carefully. <laughs> yeah, be, <laughs> uh, I think I threw an analogy on Twitter about you know the. Uh, you know, this equivalent to swapping an engine on an F1 car while it's still, yeah. you know, lapping around and, and you know, it any analogy that I that I throw is going to break down at some point. Mm-hmm. But in, in reality is we, we do have all of those different scale units 
and when we do a deployment, we need to follow something that's called SDP, which is safe deployment practices. Uh, and you can think of it as, you know, thousands of scale units get distributed amongst about six different rings. Uh, we start with ring zero, which goes to something that is called EUAP, which is the early user access program, where we have a special set of customers that actually pay additional money uh, to be part of this program where they get to test the the next version of a release. Right? This is so, sort of like Windows Insider, but for, for Azure. Right. Conceptually, right. okay, and, and, and you know, it's for people that have mission critical applications. Uh, you can think of, you know, if you're a Fortune 500 company that you have, you know, if your app goes down, it's going to cost you tens of millions of dollars a day. Uh, you know, you want to be in this type of in this type of programs, and you know, they they get to suffer that in those particular regions or or, or stamps that are a pinpoint for this EUAP thing. Uh, and and they're literally our partners and telling us, hey, we noticed this change of behavior, uh, we noticed this thing broke or this thing got better or worse, and there's like constant communication there. So that's kind of like the first the first uh, safety net, if you will. Um, the other thing that we have is we have the ability to basically the 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 way that the the, the front ends got Frankenstein is that they could run in dual mode. Uh, so we could flip a switch and say, okay, run with the old behavior. Which is the IAS and mm -hmm. and uh, ARR etc. Uh, or switch over to the new Kestrel YARP and, and without really doing a deployment to do that, right? right? It's it's setting a flag somewhere and, and right. that puts right. it okay. Right. Can, right. can somebody so, explain this term Frankenstein to me? I'm kind of new to it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's literally you know putting things together that probably should not be put together for, oh, okay. for real scenarios. <laughs> All right. I wouldn't have guessed. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. As, as we move forward and, and, you know, you need to think about it. It's um, I think we're, we're, we're starting to build features on top of this. So for example, the, this work enabled us to do gRPC. Um, and, and as more and more dependencies are, are, building on top of this new infrastructure, it becomes harder for us to go and say, yeah, we're going to revert back to the old behavior. Mm -hmm. And that's where we slowly start, you know, cleaning out the code and, and out with the old, in with the new. And now you have front end that is just uh, Kestrel JARP and no more IS, HPCs, uh, et cetera. It, it is, you know, I, I mean, at, at a high level without getting into sort of specific numbers, um, yep. When you and I first started talking about this, you you were just sort of really early on this transition. And I think when we, <laughs> you know, we've been going back and forth about when's the right time to have you on the show. Um, you know, now that you're on, part of the reason we decided to have you on is because the vast majority of of app services is now running on top of on Kestrel. It might even be 100 percent now. I'm, yeah. I'm, but but basically you are running on Kestrel if you're running in app services these days, functionally. Uh in the same blog that I that I referenced earlier, we have the graph where you can see how we slowly took it to to 100% over, uh, give or take a six month period. Yeah. Um. You know, I think I do need to put a little asterisk on on 100%. I think there's one customer in one very specific region, uh, where we still have it flipped. Yeah. Because of some like very niche thing that was affecting them. Uh, mm -hmm. So we're waiting on this particular customer to make a change so that we can flip the bit and have it mm -hmm. be really 100% a 
across the board. So it's so it's like ninety nine point nine nine, however many nines. Yeah, exactly. You know, Long okay. tail of nines. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but you know, for all intents and purposes, if you're if you're running an app, whether it's an old app or a new app, whether it's running on the cloud service or 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 the VMSS footprints, uh, you are your your requests are going through this new new code path. And then you know, all of this is you know interesting from from an engineering perspective, but what is the what is the customer benefit, right? What is yeah. the yeah? You know what what do I what why do it, it for me, right? right? Yeah, yeah. So you know, we we touched a little bit about the the benefits that we get from an engineering point of view of easier debugging, easier management, uh, better perf. Uh, you know, the something that people brought up is that this actually contributes to having a greener data center footprint, because if we're able to Reduce the number of front ends that we need to host the same workloads. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, it's it. You know, it's a fringe benefit. The reality is that we run uh, over provision for the sakes of surviving spikes and mm -hmm. you know heavy traffic and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But even even if we take can take one or two front end front makes end of rotation from every stamp, it makes a difference, yeah. right? Yeah. Um. So there's that. But then. It also enables us to build new features for for customers. The the first one that you know we're 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 talking about just because I think it was our number two most requested feature uh, in the App Service Ideas Forum. Uh, we can throw a link to that if people don't know what it is. The Ideas Forum is where you as a customer can put in requests for features, and then other customers can upvote them. And we actually have a process where every month we review, we look at the ideas that are getting traction, and we use that to feed our six-month planning process to find things that you know we should be investing mm -hmm. on. You know, sometimes the reality is that it takes multiple years to enable that. Like gRPC, we we had to do a major lift to to get to a point where we could enable the feature. Uh, but it is something that we constantly, constantly look at and are trying trying to find ways to address those top asks. Okay. Um, following up on that, so some of the new features that are coming, uh, we, we call them out in the blog, so I feel free to talk about them a little <laughs> Darn, bit. Darn, there goes our scoops. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, the, the very next one is, uh, I think, our number one request uh, feature, which is the ability to configure uh, custom error pages for for requests that fail at the front end, right? So if if you have a request that makes it all the way to the worker, you can configure a customer page and have your own branding. So like a mm. good example of this would be a 404. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're, there's some content that's not there. Your your web logic can handle that and render uh, a branded page. But if you hit something like a 502, 503, where the request makes it to the to the front end, the front end tries to find an instance of your app, but your app is not responding, then that request gets terminated at the front end. So it, you today you would get like a generic page that would basically tell you, hey, can't find the app. Yeah. Uh, there's you can't do anything about it because there's it's not getting to your code, right? So uh, being able to enable that uh, at the front end tier, so that you can have those branded customer pages, so that you never bleed out the fact that you're being hosted on Azure, for example. Um, nice. Yeah, uh, um, if I may ask ahead. you a quick question. Uh, so the communication between the front end and the worker, is that on gRPC? Uh, uh, so if if you're doing gRPC, uh, that flows from the client to the front end 
all the way down to the worker. There's a there's a flag that you need to configure on your app that basically flows it all the way down to the worker. If you're doing just HTTP, HTTPS, uh, the request gets terminated at the front end. That's where the TLS SSL offloading happens. And then the rest gets forwarded over to the worker okay. over and HTTP. Uh, okay. Uh, and the reason I ask is because, you know, I've been debugging some uh, functions apps recently, and I noticed that when there's an error, there is a huge stack trace, and there's a lot of gRPC code at the bottom of that stack trace. I mean, it's, you know, uh, maybe 20, 30 lines of gRPC code, and then I, on the top, I can see my code. And I always often wonder why there's all that uh, that excess in there. But that's not because of the front end from what you're saying. That's probably just the implementation of the worker. Yeah, like, honestly, I... I, I... If you're not using gRPC on on your code, I don't see how you would see this. But I, I think the know, function, can, the function, yeah, must be a function uh, thing. They, they may be yeah. wire up the worker. Okay, so yeah. probably something. Okay, sorry about that. Go ahead. No worries. Uh, I actually lost track of where I was. What yeah, I, what no, I, was I, I think this is this is great because I mean this sort of I mean this touched on you. You sort of hit on the thing that that blew my mind when you and I first started talking. Is this is a major you know, there's there's good customer reasons to do it. There's good, um, you know, cogs reasons to do it. There's good technical reasons, right? It's easier to debug, all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, this is still a non-trivial thing to to change this while it's in flight. Um, and you can want to do it all you want, but it still takes that effort to do it. The fact that you that y'all were able to do this and make this switch, and not saying there's no bugs. So if there's any customer out there that had mm -hmm. a Kestrel-related bug, I'm not not you know, sort of <laughs> saying that didn't happen. It absolutely did. I've debugged some of these myself, you know, but by and large, you know, for most customers is a fairly seamless process. And, you know, now we're running on this new, you know, this new architecture, which unlocks, you know, to your point, new features, new capabilities down the road and more speed ultimately as well, right? Because right. it's easier for y'all to right. develop, fix things, you get the benefits of open source and whatnot. So, I mean, that's fantastic. Um, any Any last messages or, anything you want to leave the audience with yeah i think the you know one of the eye-opening things here was we got deep deep integration or, or, or deep deep collaboration from the dotnet team mm -hmm. uh so for example there's there's other microsoft properties that have been migrated to you know newer versions of dotnet i think like bing and uh, active directory recently did a dotnet 6 migration but the the thing in those scenarios is that they have a very uh, controlled client and web server infrastructure, mm -hmm. right? It's yeah, because you're not the running same... customer code at the end of the day. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, where in, in our case, you know, we, we really have no control over what the customer is is writing and what are the clients that are, that are calling in. So, uh, you know, I think that was an eye-opening experience for a lot of the engineers and looking at the complexities of, like I said, millions of of course, and millions of machines, and how do we do this in a seamless manner so that you know we don't mm -hmm. break random customer that happens to be doing something that is not you know per the spec, mm -hmm. uh, but still works, right? So and from, I, from I think that was one of the the biggest enrichment opportunities that we had. And from a customer perspective, they wouldn't know, right, when they are right. when they were being migrated off, uh, let's say, right. a Windows front end to say, yeah. 
that's the goal, right? We 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 try to make it as transparent uh, as possible so that you only find out when when you listen to this podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 no. It, and what it, you were talking about is uh, when we when I cut you off earlier is uh, how you have those new arrow pages. I think you said that's the number one uh, mm -hmm. uh, the number one uh, ask that you see on the user forum. Yeah. Uh, now, and to take that further, though, is there anything else from a troubleshooting perspective that has to be considered with this new front end in place? Like, I know you have like troubleshooters, uh, for example, on the uh, Azure Web Apps uh, uh, service. Uh, do those yep. uh, now talk to this new subsystem? Is that, uh, was yeah. that all done through and through? Oh, exactly. All of that is completely like wired through. So uh, any tooling, any like, for example, if you're trying to remote debug from V VS Code into your app, you know, all of that works. Uh, yeah, I think it's like a, as complete as it can get uh, as far as the overhaul goes. They get that they get that one stamp or somewhere that yep. we talked about, right? That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I could just see Byron, you know, going, okay, we're done with that one. We're done with that. I see a little party yep. being thrown somewhere, right? When that yep, last yep, yep. one goes. So, I think I yeah. need to get some cake when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. No, that, this was great. Byron, um, appreciate you, you know, like I said, it took us a while to find the right time. Um, you know, the fact that y'all are at hundred percent essentially yep. is, you know, is a phenomenal achievement. I'm glad you could come on to talk about it and, you know, but think about it. next when you rip Kestrel out and replace it with something else, you know, in three or four <laughs> years, we'll have you come back and, and talk about that. But you know, there definitely you appreciate you coming on. Yeah, I hope you do something special for episode 486. Uh, I just <laughs> I just see something there. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Great. Thanks, y'all. Thank you, bud. Thank you for listening to the show. If you have any thoughts, questions, or just want to connect, find us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Background music has been taken from ccmixer.org under the Creative Commons license. We hope you'll tune in again soon to keep learning with us.